Are you a fan of the Harry Potter Therapy Podcast? Do you want more episodes, more magic, and more guests? Do you want our show to reach and inspire more of those in need? Well, we can really use your support. If you would like to help us in our mission to spread awareness and destigmatize mental health struggles, we ask that you please subscribe, rate, review, and share our podcast with friends, family, and folks you might think would enjoy and benefit from our content. Most importantly, please consider joining our Patreon community and becoming a contributor. As one of our Patreon contributors, you will get access to exclusive content, announcements, videos, and more. You will join a community of like-minded pop culture enthusiasts that celebrate our connections to our favorite movies, TV shows, icons, and superheroes. As a contributor, you will also be helping us support mental health charities as 15% of our proceeds are donated monthly. To join our Patreon community, go to www.patreon.com, make an account, search for Superhero Therapy, and select one of our tiers. Now, on with the show. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello, all you magical people out there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy. I'm your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. So today, we are doing The Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 21, Hermione's Secret. We all got secrets, but Hermione got a big one. <laughs> so this chapter begins with the Minister of Magic, Cornelius Fudge, commending Snape for protecting the children against Lupin's werewolf attack. Conveniently enough, Snape is convinced that Sirius Black bewitched the kids and cast a confundus charm on them. So essentially, they weren't responsible for their actions. Harry and Hermione wake up in hospital beds trying to pretend that they're asleep while Snape is talking to Fudge. Madame Pomfrey enters the room with the largest block of chocolate they have ever seen. It's so large that she has to break pieces off with a small hammer. <laughs> I mean, after all, there were a lot of Dementors that attacked them, so I guess this mountain of chocolate <laughs> is <It's> necessary. necessary. <laughs> Just put it out to the whole school. I don't know if I've asked this question before, but why do you believe chocolate is so effective against the effects of a Dementor attack? Well, in general, chocolate boosts certain chemicals in our body, such as dopamine and serotonin. And these are the very chemicals that, when they're low in our body, can make us feel more depressed. And so... As we know, the Dementors, or at the very least as it seems, right, as it appears to be that the Dementors are kind of a metaphor for depression, it makes sense that chocolate would be important for us to recharge, boost up some of those chemicals that might have been depleted during a depression attack or a Dementor attack. Chocolate also contains sugar, and although in general sugar is not something that we need to be relying on or using multiple times a day, when we have suffered a severe stressful reaction, 
sometimes our body is expanding so much energy that our sugar levels might drop. And this is when somebody might even experience something called hypoglycemia, right? Like a mm -hmm. huge sugar drop when they might feel sick and really weak in the body. They might feel really lightheaded. And actually at that point, having a piece of chocolate or something else that has sugar in it can... Ice cream. <laughs> for example, <laughs> of... The common sugary substances, chocolate is one of the healthiest. For a lot of individuals, it seems to be, again, a short-term mood booster. And for women, for example, when they're on their cycles, for a lot of individuals, it can be really helpful with managing some of the estrogen spikes and some of the mood swings that can happen when our serotonin levels drop. So again, for multiple reasons, chocolate can be a helpful substance for individuals who are going through a hard time. It's not helpful to overuse it, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, some individuals don't like chocolate and some individuals are allergic to it. But for individuals who like it and are able to eat it, it can be a helpful food to eat after a really intense dementor attack like the one Harry just went through. It's very interesting that we have this natural biological draw to th these sugary substances because you see it in movies all the time. People getting hurt and depression and they're just sitting there eating out of the ice cream carton and things like that. I mean, that's kind of real, right? That Absolutely. Draw. Absolutely. Well, when depression hits, it's usually chemically represented in our body as a lowered response of a number of different chemicals, right? So we have less dopamine, less adrenaline, and less serotonin in our body, which dopamine gives us a mood boost and serotonin does too. And adrenaline gives us energy. So a lot of times individuals are just completely depleted. And so ice cream can give us a little bit of that boost. However, there's a catch. If this is something we rely on on a daily basis, then our body over time starts underproducing those very chemicals that we're trying to get from, let's say, ice cream or chocolate. Because mm -hmm. basically the body figures, well, you're already getting it from the substance, so I don't have to make it, right? Mm -hmm. And the result ends up being is that without this particular food, we might start feeling more depressed, more anxious, or more irritable. Again, these Foods might be helpful in the short term, kind of used infrequently as a treat or, you know, emotional support for when we're going through a hard time. But it's not recommended that this is something that we use every single day. Yeah. Well, speaking of sweets, Harry and Hermione tell Fudge and Snape about Peter Pettigrew and how Sirius is actually innocent, but they both dismiss them immediately. I realized that Snape has already convinced Fudge that Sirius must have bewitched the kids. This situation is kind of harmless to the kids, but I can't help but think about other kids who tell things to adults and are not believed or get immediately shut down. For example, inappropriate behavior, sexual assaults. What are your thoughts on children who are not believed or worse yet, children who are disowned for coming forward against family members? I'm so glad you asked this question. And this is such a heavy topic. This is what I specialize in. I primarily work with individuals who survived severe trauma, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And what I find is that the trauma of, let's say, sexual or physical abuse is bad enough, but it's the invalidation, 
not believing and gaslighting that tends to make it worse, where family members might deny that it happened. They might tell the child that it was all in their dream or that they imagined it or that they're lying and making it up. And that kind of a reaction can be far more traumatic than the original trauma. In fact, having supportive, encouraging, loving family members or other support systems in place after an individual has experienced trauma can greatly reduce the risk of that individual developing post-traumatic stress disorder or other lifelong conditions. Mm. So Dumbledore appears and he had just talked with Sirius who backed up Harry and Hermione's story, obviously, and he asked to speak with Harry and Hermione alone. Everybody leaves the room except for Snape. Snape disobeys Dumbledore and starts lashing out at him. Snape is beyond upset about the prospect of letting Sirius go free because Sirius tried to kill him when they were 16, when they were younger. From Snape's perspective here, he's not wrong. I, I would definitely be spiteful towards someone who tried to have me killed. That would make me upset. But perspective is such a fascinating concept to consider. As it's been said, most villains believe that they are the heroes of their sagas. How powerful is perspective and what do you believe it takes to change someone's point of view? I think that perspective is extremely important here. I think that Snape's experience has been that most of his life people don't believe him. His own parents completely disregarded and neglected him physically and emotionally. When he was at Hogwarts, the Marauders got away with pretty much everything, right? Sirius and James, they got away with pretty much everything. And when Snape was nearly killed, nobody was punished for this. And so it makes sense that all of these years later, he's still very traumatized. He's still really hurt. And so to see Sirius get away with something yet again, I imagine is very triggering for him. And even though in this particular case, Snape is wrong about Sirius's guilt in terms of killing Peter Pettigrew and in terms of what he did or did not do to the kids, it makes sense that what Snape really needs is to be heard and to be validated instead of being gaslit. And in a lot of ways, that is what's happening here, right? Dumbledore is gaslighting him. And I think that it would be really helpful for his mental health, really, if he and Dumbledore sat down and Snape got to share his side of the story and if Dumbledore was able to hear him out and if maybe even Dumbledore was able to have Snape and Sirius talk to one another in a way that there's maybe a mediator present, maybe Dumbledore himself, so that Snape would be able to tell Sirius about how he feels and how much he hurt him and have Sirius apologize. And I think that something like that would be extremely validating, although given how hurt Snape was, he might not feel safe or comfortable being around Sirius either, even if it, it is to get an apology, which is completely fine. But the point is his entire life Snape pretty much never got to share his side of the story. And if he ever tried, he was the one that got in trouble. Mm -hmm. And so 
I don't even think he's the villain here. I think he's a victim. Mm -hmm. I just think his perspective in this very situation is wrong. But in general, I think that he's a victim. And I think it's really powerful here that we see how somebody so charismatic and popular like Sirius can get away with anything, including attempted murder. Mm -hmm. And somebody like Severus, who was quieter, who was less likable because he'd been abused, really, is somebody that really never got a chance to tell their side of the story, at, at least up until this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Snape's not wrong. Even though Sirius is innocent and Pettigrew is, in fact, alive, it's the children's word against an adult. Pettigrew escapes, so they have no proof there. There's no way they can win this situation. Dumbledore, of course, knows this and in his subtle Dumbledore fashion looks directly at Hermione and says what we need is more time. And Master, you've got to stop them. They've got the wrong man. It's true, sir. Sirius is innocent. It's Scabbers who did it. Scabbers? He's my rat, sir. He's not really a rat. Well, he was a rat. He was my brother Percy's rat. But then they gave him an owl. Just we know the truth. Please believe us. I do, Miss Granger, but I'm sorry to say the word of three 13-year-old wizards will convince few others. A child's voice, however honest and true, is meaningless <gasps> to those who've forgotten how to listen. <laughs> Mysterious thing, time. Powerful, and when meddled with, dangerous. He knows Hermione's secret, and he tells them exactly what to do to save Sirius and Buckbeak. Hermione has a magical item called a time-turner and has the ability to travel in time. That's how she's been taking so many classes and seeming to appear in two places at once throughout this whole school year. Each turn represents one hour, and per Dumbledore's instructions, they go back in time three hours. They carefully free Buckbeak without getting seen by their past selves because if they had been seen, it could have been really catastrophic to see yourself. And traveling back in time is very tricky. If one sees oneself, the chances of one losing their own mind is pretty high. That, along with a whole bunch of cosmic repercussions, could result in the misuse of this object. We know from the Cursed Child just how dangerous the Time Turner is. Are there any parallels for time travel in mental health? Absolutely. And I'm really glad you asked this question. Sometimes in mental health, we talk about mental time travel, right? We could be in any one moment. We could remember multiple things in our past and imagine how things might turn out in our future. This is mental time travel. When we are reminded of something, our mind can actually transport us back to that particular event as if we're actually there. In fact, certain neural activity will be activated as if we're actually there. We might be able to see, hear, and smell certain things that were going on in that moment. And so it makes sense that here we see this really powerful metaphor. Again, I don't know what the author intended, but this is what I took away from this. Also, for people who are as studious and hardworking as Hermione and those like Hermione who feel like an outcast and try very hard to prove themselves through academic achievements, 
it makes sense that they might almost be in two places at once where they might overload themselves with classes and basically do the impossible. We see that happening quite a bit, right? Where students who are trying very hard to prove themselves might be taking so many classes that they might nearly burn out. And that's very much what happened to Hermione in this book. Yeah, it's interesting. I know someone like Hermione. <laughs> so in the past, right before Harry blacked out Sirius and all the Dementors, Harry thought he saw his dad followed by this sudden flash of bright light. As the Dementors are surrounding him and Hermione's past selves, future Harry recalls this. He sits by for a moment expecting to see his dad, but no one shows up. It was in this moment that future Harry realizes that he was the one who he thought he saw in the past. And this gives Harry a huge boost of confidence and he conjures up a large Patronus in the form of a stag. The stag charges the Dementors and chases them away. This is horrible. Don't worry. My dad will come. He'll conjure the Patronus. Any minute now. Right there. You'll see. Harry, listen to me. No one's coming. Don't worry, he will. He will come. Yeah. <laughs> You're dying. Both of you. Harry! Expecto Patronum! Harry performed very advanced magic because he already knew he could do it. Harry says, I knew I could do it because I already had done it. You were right, Hermione. It wasn't my dad I saw earlier. It was me. I saw myself conjuring the Patronus before. I knew I could do it this time because, well, I'd already done it. Does that make sense? No! I imagine this is a lot like the concept and the benefit of exposures. Can you discuss the power of repetition and the confidence it builds? Absolutely. When we're afraid of something or when we're denying our own abilities, a lot of times our thoughts about it might be, I can't do it. For example, public speaking or maybe setting boundaries with people who are toxic to us or even setting boundaries with people who are well-meaning but don't understand what we need are just a few examples here or maybe certain phobias, right? And so our thought might be, I can't do it. And the more we avoid that situation, the more we are kind of proving to ourselves that we can't. And we're kind of strengthening the neural connection between the possibility of doing this particular action and the belief, not a fact, but the belief that we can't do it. But what's really interesting is that when we do the opposite, when we face our fear and do something, even if it makes us very uncomfortable, even if we have a panic attack while doing it, but if we do it anyway, no matter how afraid we are, so in a lot of ways that's being a Gryffindor, and we show to ourselves that we can be uncomfortable, we can step out of our comfort zone and we can do it anyway, what happens over time is that those neural associations start to change. 
So now we might start associating a particular situation, such as setting a boundary, for example, or going to school, or maybe facing certain fears in a way that allows our body to remember, wait, I can do this. And the more we do it over and over and over again, the more our brain and our body responds with, I might be uncomfortable, but I am capable. You know, as a musician, I couldn't help but think about how you practice and how practice turns into, you know, you getting better at whatever you're doing. And pretty soon you have this confidence and then you're shredding this song. I just think practice and repetition is just such an important aspect. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And I do want to point out that surprisingly, and the opposite of what people might think, confidence is not necessary for us to do something that we might be afraid to do. So a lot of people think, well, I'm not confident, so I shouldn't be doing, let's say, public speaking or, Mm -hmm. you know, applying for these kind of jobs or taking these kind of classes. And so it's not about confidence, actually. It's just about the repetition. It's about doing it even though you're afraid and uncomfortable because over time, your body learns that you can. A lot of people with this kind of repetition do become more confident, but some don't. But the truth is, confidence is irrelevant. I know that sounds like a strange concept. Mm -hmm. It helps emotionally, but it does not at all help physically. In fact, research studies show that when people are very, very confident, like they have zero anxiety about something they're doing, they actually perform worse Mm. than when they have a moderate amount of anxiety. Our performance improves if we have some anxiety about it because then we put more effort into it. We're more animated. Musicians, actors, other performers, public speakers who take certain medications to help them reduce stage fright, if they experience no anxiety after taking this medication, even though they perform the same lines or play the same notes, the audiences don't like their performance as much as they do when the particular performer or musician or speaker is anxious. There have been multiple studies about this where audience members were asked to rate the performers, how well they liked the performance, not knowing which performers took which medication or which did not. Mm -hmm. And so what was really interesting is that it was specifically the anxiety, which I look at as energy. It was the energy with which that particular performer delivered their, again, either music or speech that allowed the audiences to like them more. So it's a misconception that we need to be confident slash anxiety free to do something. So actually a moderate amount of anxiety is helpful and it's more about trusting ourselves to step outside of our comfort zone and do it even if we're anxious. That was awesome. And I'm confident that this chapter is going to end on a positive note because (laughs) the kids fly up to Flitwick's tower and they release Sirius and they all jump on Buckbeak and escape the tower. (laughs) They land on Hogwarts grounds and Sirius once again escapes to his freedom. And that's where we're going to end this episode. Thank you so much for joining us again. My name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. 
For all of our listeners out there, we are sending out free signed copies of Dr. Scarlett's book, Harry Potter Therapy, an unauthorized self-help book from the restricted section. To enter the drawing, all you have to do is tweet about this podcast with the hashtag HarryPotterTherapy. We will choose one lucky listener every month to receive their free copy. Unfortunately, due to high postage costs, international listeners will not be eligible for this promotion. Stay safe out there, everybody. Stay magical and take care. The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening.